let's talk about digital identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolaya. Hello and thanks for listening. Today we are going to have a discussion about group of companies, individuals and organizations who are joining forces for solving very important problems today. In particular, we're going to talk about the Decentralized Identity Foundation. And for that, we have a guest who is from one of these members. Our guest today is Richard Bird, who is Chief Customer Information Officer at Ping Identity, an internationally recognized data privacy and identity-centric security expert. Richard leverages his diverse experiences as a strategic advisor and solution provider to challenge current notions about cybersecurity and identity. He is a Forbes Tech Council member and has been interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, the Financial Times, Business Insider, and the New York Stock Exchange on topics ranging from data protection regulations to cybersecurity-enabled consumer protection. Hello, Richard. Oscar, how are you? Very good. It's, it's great having you. <laughs> I, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Yeah, fantastic. It's great uh, having this conversation and really intrigued to hear more about the Decentralized Identity Foundation. But before that, I would like to hear a little bit about you. So please tell us about yourself and how you join this world of digital identity. Uh, absolutely. I, it's, I, I think it's really interesting. It's always strange to hear anybody read my bio. I feel like, uh, you know, a bit of imposter syndrome all this opportunity the last couple of years to talk with all of these different media outlets. And one thing that's interesting, the, the consistent theme there is it's it's all business side media outlets, you know, the, the Journal and CNBC and all those different organizations. And I think a lot of that is because my experience and background has given me the opportunity to be able to translate the the complexities, the challenges, the issues and digital identity in a way that the business side of the house uh, can consume and understand. Um, I spent 20 plus years in corporate and I've worked at uh, companies like uh, JP Morgan Chase for many years, Accenture, smaller banks in the in the Midwest. And I also held a chief information officer position and uh, gravitated into information security, also became a chief information security officer. And a large part of that information security timeframe was spent in identity, working it from an operational perspective. And when I left the corporate fold, I spent a couple of years in strategic advising and then joined Ping Identity about three years ago. And almost all of my effort and energy has been focused on consumer identities, digital identities, citizen identities, really the space that has proven to be one of our greatest weaknesses and challenges, not just in national cybersecurity infrastructure for things like election and healthcare and vaccinations and all of that, but it's also been an, an extremely problematic area in terms of creating a much bigger digital divide where people, you know, human beings don't have the ability to exercise their rights to prove that they are who they say they are in the digital, the way that they do in the analog. 
So um, I went from a long time of being a corporate resource that really didn't care about those subjects because my job was to protect my company. I always like to say I wore the, the soccer or football jersey of, of the company that I worked for. But as I left those industries and saw really the disparities and the challenges that we're facing, because we don't have a notion of decentralized identity, we don't have a notion of, of true digital identity, we just continue to have accounts and passwords. We just really, you know, saw an opportunity with the Decentralized Identity Federation or Foundation, rather, as well as other organizations to help create a framework for a world where digital identity isn't just a thing, but it's operationalized. It has interoperability. It can be recognized, most importantly, so that people, human beings can be empowered to have some part to play in and identifying themselves in the digital world. So that's kind of a, you know, how did you get here? But that that really, you know, my background is just lots and lots of years of getting identity, hopefully right, more right than wrong over the course of my time and in, in, in doing it and learning a lot about identity along the way. Yeah, excellent. And so many things that you have said resonate with me. For instance, bringing the complexity of um, identity problems, concepts, and, and, and approaches to uh, outside people who are not technical. So bringing to the, the B, uh, business decision makers is, is very important. It's very important f not only for the ones who, who bring the solutions, but for the, the ones who are going, the, the ones who need the solutions. So a lot of your work, as you said, came from corporate, helping corporate The problem now is, sounds like you're focusing more into the consumer citizen, right? And as you have mentioned now already, decentralized identity, please explain us in a simple way, as I'm sure you know very well, what is that and what are the, the top challenges? Yeah, you know, decentralized identity is kind of interesting because we have historical precedences for it in, in the analog, in the real world where pieces of our identity are distributed uh, across, you can call it an ecosystem or, you know, different locations, right? So in the analog, you know, we had to bring together those pieces, say a physical passport, and the, uh, the trusted authority for that is, you know, in the United States is the, the State Department and a driver's license. And, uh, you know, maybe if we were signing up for a new service, we or, you know, had to get something, you know, maybe we had to show up with uh, some information about uh, our current residence, a utility bill that had our current address on it. That, that's a very interesting analog or, or analogy to compare to digital identity because we know in the analog world that process of bringing all those pieces of information together from these different sources to to confirm that we are who we say we are is really frustrating. <laughs> so when we look at the digital space, when we look at decentralized identity, it, it's somewhat the same notion, but it, it becomes an architecture that is relying on trusted trust providers or trusted a trusted layer to bring those different component pieces of information together to create a confirmation of identity. So I like to think of all the digital capabilities that we have today. Maybe it's device trust and you have information about your handset, you have information about your physical address, you have information about you know, the different trustable pieces and you bring that together so that we can actually prove that you are who you say you are. Here's the thing that's really fascinating about decentralized identity. It creates a framework that is extremely difficult to spoof or to commit fraud because no single source has all of the information. 
And I think that's the most important piece here because the the ability for the bad guys to take advantage of identity, you know, which you know, organizations like Gartner and and those and the Verizon Data Breach Incident Report have for years called out the fact that identity is is the single largest contributor to exploits and breaches. The ability for them to be able to steal and identity has been way too easy in the digital world. And it's mainly because all that information is housed in one location, one database, you know, and and this notion of decentralization creates a, again, a framework where uh, you have to put all the pieces together to be able to steal somebody's identity. And this notion of trust and credibility and assurance is, is really what, you know, creates a, a model for me and and I'll leave off with this for me to be able to have a part to play in in my identity in the digital world and and be able to choose who I share that information with and when which is not possible in most cases today in most cases today those decisions are made for me as a consumer or a citizen or an employee and decentralized identity will create an empowerment framework for people to have a part to play in their digital identity Mm-hmm. And why is it important for individuals to have a control over their own identities? <laughs> See, I, I kind of led right into the next question. <laughs> it, it, this is what uh, I've personally become passionate about. And I'm, you know, I'm excited. I, we'll get to what the Decentralized Identity Foundation is, but I'm always excited how how standards organizations get established because it tends to be the the thinkers, uh, the architects, the people that understand that you have to have a great design before you build the house. And that's very much the case with the Decentralized Identity Foundation. But when we think about what they're, they're collectively and we collectively are trying to do, they're trying to create a world where digital identity means something, right? Today, like think about your your own experience, Oscar. You have on average, you have something like 137, I think is the number I remember, accounts or interfaces with e-commerce providers, healthcare providers, your whole digital experience. Every one of those digital experiences, you are a different identity. You're 137 different identities. You don't have a core identity that you have some control over, which makes it virtually impossible to do things like delegate my rights and privileges to say a family member in the healthcare space because you know the healthcare space I've got another 30 accounts and maybe I need to delegate my care to somebody because I can't take care of myself but I don't have the ability to do that in an elegant way you know the the real reason that you know controlling our own identities is important is because for 30 years in the digital space at least we've had no control and we know what the consequences are. I, I work with an organization in San Diego, the Identity Theft Resource Center. And when you see the numbers of how many cases of identity theft and fraud are committed every year against individual human beings, the, the impact is getting to the point where we can no longer just shrug it off. We can no longer just say it's a victimless crime. You know, I've, I've seen situations where people have, there's a great story from my own podcast that uh, was shared with me by the director where she said that somebody had stolen a young woman's identity while she was a minor. Synthetic fraud, a very common practice now amongst the bad guys. 
first child to ever have the opportunity to go to college in her family. And then when she went to go apply for college, she couldn't get everything covered with scholarships, so she needed a loan. And when she went to go apply for a loan, she found out that her entire credit history was destroyed and she was not 18 years old yet. Um, it took her three years. She was forced to fix that problem herself. It took her three years to finally uh, get to a point where her, her credit was made whole again. And in that three years, she couldn't go to college. So she wasn't with her cohort anymore. Um, she lost three earning years. So the damage that's happening to people because of the inability to have control over some aspect of their digital identity is real. It's tangible. It's painful. And frankly, I think for the most part, we're no longer, as people, weary about it. We're angry, right? We're tired of not being able to have a say in our digital lives and, and having you know, the consequences of, of these breaches and exploits land on top of us personally. So it all begins with identity, right? This is why we want to create a world where people have some control over their own identity. Yes, well, that, that example you told me, that <laughs> it's hard to imagine, actually, for me. Yeah, that, that, that type of cases, that person had to lose three years to recover her identity. Yeah, I can, I can, I can understand in, with cases like that, especially the magnitude of this problem. So please tell us about the, a bit more about the Decentralized Identity Foundation. As I mentioned, it's, I always enjoy seeing the rise of, of standards bodies. And, and the Decentralized Identity Foundation is, is definitely in the young uh, stage and age of, of its growth. We at Ping Identity have been founders and participants in, in every single identity standard since uh, the company was founded. And, and in many cases, we've actually been the originators, right? The, the, you know, the, the original founders of those, those standards. In the case of Decentralized Identity Foundation, though, we connected because we have a, a vision of a world where decentralized identity becomes the standard method for identity authentication authorization. And, and our interest in, in uh, the Decentralized Identity Foundation definitely was driven by our own experiences on the development of the Colorado Digital Driver's License. It is a decentralized form of identification. Uh, we worked uh, closely with uh, another company and the color state of Colorado. And those three companies, ourselves, and then ID Data Web, and then the state of Colorado, uh, represent different stores of information about this digital driver's license. And I'm able to manifest that application, that driver's license, on my phone. It took about a year before the Colorado State Police would even you know, agree to acknowledge the digital driver's license as a valid form of identification. Not because there's anything wrong with the Colorado State Police, but because all of their processes were built around the use of a plastic physical driver's license. This is where you know the, the Decentralized Identity Foundation is doing these beginning component pieces of architecture and framework necessary for us to have a strong amount of assurance and trust that a decentralized identity, when it's manifested, is, is who they say they are and that 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 resource or that digital identity, that decentralized identity has access to the resources and assets that it should, nothing more, nothing less. And this whole basis of trust is really what I see when I look at you know, the charter for uh, the Decentralized Identity Foundation, when I look at the frameworks and the technical documents that they're publishing. They're building a very, very thorough model 
all of the different component pieces that are necessary to achieve that magic word, <laughs> to achieve trust in a digital identity. They're doing so in a way where, you know, the expectation is, is that the source information that is brought together to establish that confirmed digital identity is coming from multiple sources that are, again, trusted at their root, but are able to be brought together in such a way that they can be, uh, we can be confident as a reliant party, as somebody who needs to be able to you know, trust that, that final credential, being brought together in such a way that it's extremely difficult to hack, break, crack, and it's also very difficult to you know simply duplicate. And, and now we get to uh, this level of, of assurance that is so lacking in the digital world. Like I said, it, you know, it is a heavily engineering-focused uh, effort in the Decentralized Identity Foundation. And I think that that's extremely important because the in this case, the standards need to be really precise and, and you know, frankly, you know, probably prescriptive. Uh, in order to be able to achieve the degree of trust necessary for interoperability, and I, I'll just you know, you know, say that's really the the biggest problem. All things are easy until we get to operationalization, <laughs> and once we get to operational operationalization, it's where we find our biggest challenges. You know, concept is good, architecture is great, operationalization is challenging. And yeah, I understand the the. The interoperability problems have been in in in, in some other organization about standards, and we we feel that we follow the same paradigm, but at the end of the trying the solutions together is like, oops! But actually, my architecture is different. So my conception of this concept is this, but let's put the pieces together. <laughs> Not so ready. So I understand, <laughs> of course, the the challenges. And about that, how? Tell us a bit about the the type of uh, organizations that are working already there, and also uh, how 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 much has been um, you got f uh, member from, let's say, different uh, type of organizations, public uh, software vendors, and uh, private and mm. NGOs, and also for by countries. Tell tell me a bit how is how is that? Oh sure. Yeah, I, you know, it's really a very diverse landscape for a frontier that is relatively new. Three years ago, I can remember, um, I went to a number of different sessions at uh, Identiverse that were focused on self-sovereign identity, digital identity, and decentralized identity. And, you know, there were, when we look at the, the enterprise solution space, where you know companies like Ping Identity reside, there is this operationalization problem. So we go, oh man, like blockchain for identity, that's really really cool. How do we figure out how to incorporate it into an enterprise grade solution? Because blockchain for identity or decentralized identity in isolation, the the overall framework is so new. The ability to actually move it into production is challenging. Right. You have to find the use cases, you have to find the pieces and components where the the buying public on the solution side is willing to absorb that uh, that tech. They're willing to change their business processes and they're they're willing to you know adopt you know these new standards. 
that takes a lot of time. So three years ago, a lot of what we're talking about in, in this discussion, and a lot of what the Decentralized Identity Foundation was, frankly, probably not yet even quite dreaming about, was, was considered to be whiteboard focused. But in the last couple of years, we've seen a huge shift. So this notion of digital identity and some organizations and nations are attacking it from a decentralized standpoint, some are not, but, but they're all pursuing a goal of a digital identity, which is, I need to be real precise about that because we're, we're already in a space over the last couple of years where there's arguments about terminology. Digital identity is really, is really this notion of creating a digital version of the analog you. Mm -hmm. So digital identity is not an accumulation, a summation, a federation of all of your accounts and passwords. It's this rich representation of an aggregation of data that is is out there <laughs> about all of us. Now that opens up for another conversation that you and I can have, Oscar, one day. It opens up, you know, concerns about how much of this point information about uh, my location, about velocity, about what network I'm running on, all these different pieces, how much of that has to be aggregated before we start to uh, go over the line relative to privacy concerns and security concerns. We're just all exploring that space now, and that's a big piece of that interoperability challenge. But, you know, the companies that and, and nations that are coming together are attacking the problem in much the same way, which is create a digital identity that can be highly trusted, uh, so in Australia, we see a tremendous amount of work in this space. In the EU, we see the we see that the digital marketplace initiative, which is what created GDPR, it created uh, open banking PSD2. We're seeing the beginnings of uh, the last stage of that, which is the mandate for creating a digital identity for the citizens of the EU. You know, so the Nordics have actually created a, a model for. They call it the bank ID. They've created a digital identity that has been well-received and well-adopted by the population uh, within the Nordics. So we're seeing, you know, lots of this. And we see, like, social media company. We see Facebook that's like, you know, we're going to create a digital identity standard because, you know, that's part of our cryptocurrency focus, right? So we're seeing a world where digital identity was barely a topic a couple of years ago to now it is a huge topic. And, and companies around the world like Ping Identity as well as, you know, organizations like the Better Identity Coalition in Washington, D.C., who are you know pushing uh, legislators here in the United States to acknowledge the importance of digital identity for uh, cybersecurity infrastructure have really expanded the conversation. The big thing is is that that brings us back to the decentralized identity notion. You know, one of the most common patterns that we're seeing is is that a drive to put you know the term most frequently used is a digital identity wallet, but the the drive to put the some of the key components of of identity into a user's hands in the tech that they use, which is going beyond, you know, mobile handsets now, right? I'd like to point out that my my fitness watch actually is more powerful than my cell phone was three years ago. <laughs> Whether it be home automation devices, tablets, you know, all these pieces are now available to us to give a human being the the power to have that core piece of their identity and the decentralized identity capability then aggregates the information that's necessary to establish the digital identity in the moment that is needed for the persona or relationship that I have in that transaction, 
right? So I don't so show up with a social media digital identity to do my banking, <laughs> right? Because my bank is not going to acknowledge login with social media, right? It's too risky. I, I would say that, you know, there are multiple different parts of society and the business world that are focused on digital identity and the notion of decentralized identity. This is why it's so important to have an organization like the Decentralized Identity Foundation, because we have a lot of people that are attacking this problem with a lot of great thinking, but a lot of different approaches. And when we get to a point where digital identity is a necessity for us to be able to do business in the digital as well as the physical world, if there's not reconciliation of of those efforts to and, tie, and tying those efforts to a set of standards, we will have a lot of difficulty. We'll have cross-border difficulties. We'll have, you know, say, you know, business entity difficulties because we'll we'll find that organizations and nations are arguing about whether they'll acknowledge that uh, that digital identity. Again, you know, really emphasizing the importance importance of the standards focus that the decentralized identity foundation is working from. Yeah, definitely. I can agree more that uh, it's so important to to make sure that all these efforts that some of them, of course, have started in from different um, motivations, but are towards the same goal to join join together, join forces together. Um, I, I understand that a big part of the work that the standardizations or the like foundation, the decentralized identity foundation, is creating a standard. That's one big part of the goal. That's it's pretty clear. Let's say I would like to hear now how the foundation is already helping some some use cases, some people, communities. If you give some examples, because I I would guess that some there are already products that are tackling specific use cases. Yeah, the uh, it, you know it's been really cool to. In my case, I I actually use the source materials that are available uh, at the uh, decentralized identity foundation's uh, website to really kind of keep up with everything that's going on. I think that in the services space currently that are, you know, giving companies the beginning pieces to consider how they can incorporate decentralized identity into their own application base as well as their own processes. You know, there's a a universal resolver that the Digital Identity Foundation has brought to the table in in two parts. They, They have a focus on you know, for the lack of a better term, a sandbox so that you can see how these pieces come together. And uh, and you're looking at, you know, interoperability, uh, cross ledgers uh, and digital identity methods, you know, so that you can see how those start to work. You know, the yeah, I'm actually looking at the blog post right now that was put up uh, by uh, Marco Sabadello last year about how this universal resolver is currently presented to the marketplace saying, hey, you know, here's an opportunity for you to use a foundational piece, but we're in early days. So, you know, this is uh, not intended to be used for your production use cases, but it is definitely a, a set of tools for you to be able to test your use cases. The resolver, universal resolver is in, in, two viable pieces, an experimental piece and a stable piece, one that's oriented towards, you know, IBM Cloud, the other to AWS. And it's giving people, I think this is the most important part of, you know, these types of resources to the market. It's giving organizations, it's giving technologists the ability to see how these components can work 
basically on a subject that kind of go back to what I said earlier, basically on a subject that really didn't exist from a technical execution standpoint three years ago, barely even two years ago. And, you know, so one of the things that we've got to provide as a tool set to, you know, this this population of interested parties in decentralized identity is a method to be able to take it from, you know, this level of abstraction, uh, this uh, conceptual level and and to get hands dirty a bit, right? <laughs> Dig into the soil and see how these components work. I actually think when we talk about how the Decentralized Identity Foundation is enabling or empowering businesses today, I think this is the most important service that they can be providing to the market because we we all know that the biggest challenge that we face in identity and in many, many solution spaces as well is the instant that one of these identity terms, one of these technology terms becomes a marketing banner. We we see a tremendous amount of business side uh, interest and expectation. I'll use zero trust as a great example. Zero trust is a methodology, but because of the way that marketing has taken over, seized the zero trust uh, message, we have a large contingent of business leaders think that that think now, you know, zero trust is a solution. And I just need to go buy it and I can have zero trust. This foundational work is important because once decentralized identity becomes a much bigger part of the conversation, we have to have equipped people with knowledge, information, and standards to be able to be successful in the execution of it. Because once again, once it becomes the the term of the day, our business colleagues will be super interested in executing if we're still talking at the conceptual level, we will struggle to meet the need to solve those business problems. So I think that's, you know, when I think about how, you know, businesses and organizations are currently being empowered by the Decentralized Identity Foundation, it is the body of work um, that they've developed, which is extensive. And, and I highly recommend for folks that have that type of you know, technical interest, you know, go to the website. And, and then also this ability for companies to see how it can actually work. In a real in a real setting, as opposed to conceptual diagrams, I think that's that's really the value that they're providing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent to, to know. There's a among all the great job we are doing in the foundation. There's a already for, as you said, for the ones who wants to get the hands dirty. Well, there's this sandbox and yeah, ready to play around. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, we are leading the end of this very interesting conversation with you, uh, Richard. But I'd like to ask you. Final question for all the business leaders listening to this. What is the one actionable idea that they should write on their agenda now? Um, Well, I think that the actionable idea begins with a truth, right? And and, we have to acknowledge that much of our concerns about the future tend to be driven by assumptions or presumptions that we make about what we think it's going to look like. The difference here is is that digital identity is already a thing. That's the truth, right? We so for business leaders, you know, when I'm talking to organizations that are still struggling with say the basic fundamentals of identity and you start talking about digital identity, the initial reaction is, is oh my gosh, you're talking, you know, I'm I'm in a Fred Flintstone world and you're talking about Star Trek. And and the problem is is that 
um, that causes us to resist change, right? We're stuck with our legacy debt of not just technology, but processes. And we go, oh, I can't talk about, you know, something so advanced. It's already here, right? I always like to use the example of, of Apple in that case, right? Apple is building a digital identity ecosystem. Now it's dependent upon Apple devices, and the Apple universe. But the truth is, is that they've come out and said, if you use our products, you'll have more privacy and more safety as an individual. They're making a digital identity statement, right? So the the importance there is that for businesses is that Apple made a competitive differentiation statement based on security and privacy, tied explicitly to a strong identity model for the consumer. That's going to drive change way faster than any compliance or regulation demand. And, and that's the, the real message here is to business leaders is this isn't future speak. This is not a, a utopian state. This is here. And it's really important to consider how you're going to absorb, incorporate, and work in a world where digital identity and decentralized identity are a key component of the overall structure and how you service customers, how you work with your employees. The great news is, is that business leaders, last nugget that I'll leave you with, don't be afraid, right? The the changes that can come from this, everything from operational efficiency and improvements to, you know, redu- a reduction in, in loss reserves. You know, there's so many different pieces to this uh, because identity in the digital world has been broken for so long. There's so many different pieces of this that will improve embracing this change and also being a leader to drive, you know, the business process change that's necessary. Technology only fixed part of the problem. You have to change your processes to maximize and optimize that technology solution. Embracing that change as leaders is, is really going to change the world in the digital space. And that would be the most important thing I think the business leaders need to hear. Help us on the way, cool things are happening, the ability to create differentiated you know, customer experiences, the ability to create secure customer experiences is right here. And it's being driven by uh, decentralized identity and digital identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Thanks a lot, Richard, for this interview. Uh, please let us know how people would like to find more about the Decentralized Identity Foundation uh, and also they would like to get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Decentralized Identity Foundation is uh, out there in the web uh, webosphere. I definitely encourage people to go to the link. Um, I am uh, pulling it up right now. Identity Foundation, HTTPS Identity Foundation. Uh, take you right to the Digital Identity Foundation. I mentioned some other resources. If you really are eager to understand the challenges within identity, the Identity Theft Resource Center is certainly one. The Better Identity Coalition is certainly another. And uh, you know, if we dimension the size and scale of the the business problems that we're facing, it can do nothing but motivate us even more to pursue knowledge that we can get from you know the Digital Identity Foundation or probably the Decentralized Identity Foundation to hopefully make uh, progress much quicker in uh, fixing uh, the digital world. Yes, excellent. Again, thanks a lot, Richard. It was a pleasure talking with you and all the best. Oscar, thank you for having me on. I truly appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity, produced by Ubisecure. Stay up to date with episode at ubisecure.com slash podcast or join us on Twitter at Ubisecure and use the hashtag LTADI. Until next time, 